HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Margaret Wishingrad, co-founder and CEO of Three Wishes, the cereal revolutionizing breakfast aisles in grocery stores across the U.S., Three Wishes launched in October of 2019, and since then, the truly better for you cereal has made its way to close to 2,000 stores, including Sprouts, Whole Foods Market, and Wegmans. Um, welcome, Margaret. I'm I'm excited. I was going to do a whole other thing about you're also available online and on these other things, but I want to talk about that in the meat of the of the actual interview because I think that's one of your secret sauces. So I'll stop there with the intro and just say, yay, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Allie. Um, you know, I, I think what I've observed from afar a little bit, and I think what I love is that um, it seems like you aren't necessarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you're not, uh, I would say, sort of like reframing cereal you're actually taking cereal as we know cereal and just making it genuinely better. Um, Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. I think we really thought about cereal is such a nostalgic American, um, it's an embedded behavior type of food where it brings you so much or at least it brings me so much joy. And I think there is a familiar palette of flavors um, of what you expect it to, to behave like, whether it's in milk or in, you know, dry in a snack bag. And we wanted to, we wanted to revolutionize the ingredient part of it and make it okay from a ingredient and macro perspective. But we definitely didn't want to take away the beautiful part of cereal that you know and love. And that's something we worked really hard on. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like it, and it feels also like, I don't know, you know, and again, everyone's got their lane, 
Um, and that's awesome. But what I like, again, about your lane is that it is cereal also the way that you think of cereal, like you buy it at the grocery store. Yes, you have a D2C channel, clearly, um, and you can get it elsewhere, but you you do seem like you're, it's, it's, it's kind of, you're not necessarily changing consumer behavior. And at the same time, consumers can kind of expect from you guys what they're used to, as opposed to kind of having to shift their expectation of what cereal is going to be, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I thought about it in my own use case, how my children consume it, how I consume it. And I wanted to have it readily available at a similar price point and similar channels. Um, and that kind of all played into why we did it the way we did it. Tell me a little bit about the the history, how it got started, what you were doing before. I believe you founded this with your husband. I know that you guys had, um, you know, an agency together. So tell me the story. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So Ian and I come from the world of advertising. Ian is my husband and partner and all things humans, businesses, et cetera. And so <laughs> Three Wishes was really inspired by so many things, one of them being our son. Um, but the other part is we come from marketing and advertising. And our agency, Big Eyed Wish, had the pleasure of crafting small brands that started from innovation and small ideas with our clients. And we also had the pleasure of helping build massive brands like the Nestle's and Diageo's. And it's something we've always really loved to do, um, but never knew quite, you know, what was that business that we were going to build right? aside from the agency. And so when Ellis was six months old, one, our first child, one of the recommendations as I started to feed him new finger foods was cereal to help build their pincer skills. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't had cereal in what feels like years. Um, (laughs) What's in the market? What am I going to feed my kid? Is there anything for me? Is there anything for him? And that kind of took me into this deep dive on what, what are they selling at Whole Foods? Um, you know, what's online? And I really realized there was no great alternative Mm -hmm. to cereal that I knew as a kid. And I was shocked to see in the conventional aisle, it, just continue to be more sugary cereal, you know, the Peeps version or the Twinkies version. And it was astonishing to see. And and so I turned to Ian and I was like, okay, crazy. We're going to innovate in cereal. We're going to create a product that I want to eat, that I want to feed my kid and we're going to do it. And he's like, that's brilliant. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly what he should have said. Um, And so you grew up in Brooklyn, right? I did. I'm an immigrant. I was born in Israel. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, And so... Yeah. And did you grow up eating cereal? Because oh, I, yeah. I definitely, I am a cereal. I mean, like when I get sad, I mean, and I am in like food, I have a degree and all sort, you know, whatever, but I go for like a vat of Lucky Charms. <laughs> like I do. I, I, it's just, it's nostalgic. It makes me happy. I don't feel great after, but it's okay. You know, we have worse guilty pleasures, but this is true. I think there's, um, yeah, I mean, there's something about that category. I mean, what were some of the insights that you got early on that made you feel like, okay, this is actually, because it's it, it, it's a big category, but it's, it's very huge. dominant, like in the, you know, dominated by sort of like two big players. And, you know, I'm curious, like people have made sort of better for you stuff in the past. It hasn't been particularly compelling from a marketing perspective or, you know, taste, um, so tell me what, what were the insights, you know, 
what were the insights that you were looking for to give yourself the green sure. light? And then what, what really took you over the edge? Yeah, well, I think it's funny to start on the, you know, growing up in Brooklyn as an immigrant. I grew up, your, your parents come to this country, they're marvels of McDonald's and American cereals. And so I had all these horrible, horrible things in my house growing up. Right. And so I loved them. I mean, who doesn't? It's just like sugar on sugar for breakfast. Anyone's going to love them. Right. And so I think my North Star always was creating a product that resembled naughty cereal the most mm-hmm. and being able to give the consumer permission aside from marketing, which we obviously love, but giving the consumer permission to consume cereal and not feel guilty um, right. because it becomes such a guilty thing and removing all that taboo from it. And so taking out the grains, which is a big part of it and creating some, you know, plant-based nutrition in it and really having something that should be a breakfast. You think about a breakfast and, and nutrition, you think, okay, eggs or, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these things with protein because you should be filling yourself up with protein in the morning versus sugar. And so it was really important for me to crack the product first and foremost. And, right. and I think what we did is we tried to take health and taste and price point and where it's distributed and the appearance of the box and communication and marry all of them. Um, and I think that's what's made it a success to date. Yeah. And what, I mean, what would have stopped you? I guess that's, that's the reverse, a little bit of the question. Like you knew, I'm assuming that you, you guys chose who you worked with, you know, at, at big eyed wish, and you probably could spot a winner And you probably had a lot of brands that would come to you or companies that would come to you and be like, "Mm, I'm not clicking here. And I'm wondering if there's a way for you to distill, you know, um, you know, what if something didn't work? Like, you know, let's for example, let's say you couldn't figure out how to make it work the way you wanted it to at a much higher price point. Do you think that would have stopped you? Or, you know, I guess, like, what were you looking for based on your experience coming from the other side that, you know, that either was like a big push, like, yeah, this is a really good idea, or like, maybe I should think about another category? Yeah, I don't think there was anything, candidly. I mean, so cliche to say that there was anything that wasn't going to stop us. But um, I can't, I mean, so two years of product development is a long time, and in the two years, it was, we did two things. One is build out a really tight strategy that now we follow. Um, Mm -hmm. and as tempting as it is to, to go into other channels and do other things, you have to really stick to strategy. So strategy is one part of it. And that's our forte on the actual branding side. The other part of it was product. Um, I had different, whether it was formulators or co-packers tell me a thousand times that, oh, you're not going to get it to the texture you want it to be or the flavor or the macros. And I just kept pushing it and pushing it. Um, and we eventually cracked it and Mm -hmm. it just took forever. But for me, the most important thing was definitely product. I have a kid who's the pickiest, worst eater to this day (laughs) and like truly awful eater and love him, but just hoard. But the thing for me was like, I needed a product that I could put in a bowl in front of my kid and that he would eat and ask for more and that he couldn't discern the difference between um, crappy cereal and good cereal. And so that's when I knew we were finally done. And there were a ton of batches in between that I could have probably gone to market with. But the thing for me was no consumer is going to be like, oh, you know, I hope they reformulate it. I'm going to buy them again. I didn't love it the first time I I bought it. And yet, and yet, 
don't you find that today that is a little bit the approach, especially with the D to C sort of, and, you know, not throwing anyone under the bus, but I do feel like there's sort of this like tech inspired approach to direct to consumer food. That's like mostly, you know, you, you broke it into brand and product, you know, left and right. And you were like, the product was just important as the brand strategy. If not more. It, It feels like there are plenty of products that launch assuming they're going to reformulate three or four times because they're, they're putting out their most viable yada yada and starting to see, you know, almost getting data collection before they're actually worried about retention. Yeah, honestly, it's astonishing. And I'm amazed at what some other brands have been able to do and, and how they've grown their brands and businesses. But for me, I knew, especially thinking about the strategy with let's go in and just crush it in retail and and Mm -hmm. wholesale and figure that out. We knew that the consumer there wasn't as forgiving. You didn't always have that direct line of communication to say, you know, Hey, new formula or new ingredients or new macros or any of these things. And so we had to nail it. Um, and the bar for the, the minimum viable product was much higher. Right. And also, I mean, to your point, you know, if you get, forget about the consumer for a second, you get one meeting with with a buyer, hundred percent, you know, if you blow it, on taste, you're not getting another meeting for at least a year anyway. So you might as well get it right the first time. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Okay. So when would you say, so it took you two years to like get the formula done. It passed Ellis's right. Taste test. He's like the new Mikey likes it. That worked. Um, what, you know, what was step one and when did you know that you were in business? Like, when would you have quit your day job? Had I don't know if you quit your day job. I'm assuming you now don't work at Big Eyed Wish anymore. I do, yeah, no, I do not. I okay, have full so time three wishes. When were you like, okay, we're good to go? Yeah, so once Ellis gave us that green light, something mm-hmm. we did as we were developing the product is we kept really close to our buyers um, in the retailers we knew we wanted to launch in to allow them to feel like they made the product alongside. It wasn't like we were like, here's the final thing, send it to shelves. It was like, hey, you know, this is the product. Um, and, and this was obviously really far along into the development process. It wasn't like right. year one, it was months before it went live. And so it was like, okay, here we are with flavors. Are there any notes we want to change? Do you like this? Do you like the texture? And really um, make people feel like they have their hands on it and they're helping you succeed and grow because people love that. People love people mm-hmm. and they love helping people. And so that was really important to us in both making sure we had a great relationship with our retailers and buyers and um really optimizing the product because they obviously know their consumers as well. So that was something we did is pre-launch. We started to really let it kind of hit the market um, behind the scenes. And did you launch directly at the same time that you launched or did you have a retailer first and then start selling online? I mean, I would imagine it's not that hard. I mean, our fulfillment because of refrigerated and yada yada is really hard, but Did you do both in tandem? Yeah, we did. And that's one of those beauties of having a center store dry grocery item is you're able to ship it. You're, there's It's so much easier to Lightly. handle. And that was mm-hmm. definitely something we considered when we were developing the product was the importance of being able to do that. So right. um, yeah, they both went out at the same time. And I mean, going back to 
the question of like, when did you know, you know, you could make an amazing product and have a great strategy and it doesn't hit. How did you know that it hit? Yeah. So the, one of the first stores actually was here locally in Westchester. There's a store called Stu Leonard's. Yeah, I know Stu Leonard's. And so we, we got the product to Stu's. Ian went to college with uh, the the granddaughter of the original Stu. And so uh-huh. we were like, all right, can we get the product in the store? We'll sample it. So Ian and I would go every weekend and, and sample the product. And what's interesting about Stu's, it's not a natural retailer by any means. It's right. way more on the conventional side. And we're like, if we can demo it in front of these consumers and we see that there's some real interest, like, let's see what happens. Let's just, let's do it. So we started demoing the first day we demoed within, I think, two to three hours, we sold through over 200 boxes between mm-hmm. the two of us. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was really fascinating is that people would come up, they'd be like, oh, a healthy cereal, weird. Mm-hmm. Um, they would take the little sample cup, they would try it and they'd be like, this has chickpeas in it. This is, has pea, pr- what? Right. And they like, they turn the box, they're amazed at the ingredients. Um, they're pleased with the taste. And the other part was like, okay, you know, I as an adult like, it. and they would turn to their kids and they would be like, oh, Johnny, Mikey, like, try it. What do you think? <laughs> and their kids are like, this is great. I'll eat it for breakfast. And we're like, okay, we've, there we're we cooking go. with fire. Right. Like, we got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a really great first sign of, of life. Amazing. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to go back to what you said about the strategy, because I want to hear more about it. We'll be right back. The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming. I'm back with Margaret Wishingrad, co-founder and CEO of Three Wishes Cereal. Okay, so... You know, at the beginning you were talking about, and I, and I don't know, I think maybe this way a little bit. So it really resonated with me, you know, like building a great brand strategy, really mapping it out and it, you know, simultaneously like iterating and making a really strong product. So going over to sort of like the brand strategy, if you had to draw it, <laughs> Like, did you, were you like, these are the stores we want. This is how we're going to market it. These are the social channels we're going to like work on. This is, you know, obviously there was branding hierarchy and messaging and like, how did you, how did you just start to, I guess, what was step one? And then what, what started to form as you got closer to launch? Yeah. So we definitely thought about, okay, who is this consumer? it's definitely Margaret and who was definitely, I'm creating a product for myself and my family. And it's, where do I shop? Where do I, you know, where do I eat? Where do I work out? Um, who am I following? Like, and, and just, it's not obviously just me, but you find that, that consumer target that we had, um, which is 
whether it's millennial moms or families, um, and we really narrowed down on who that person was first. And then we figured out how do we get to them? What stores are they in? Because I think the most important thing in brand building is finding your consumer and going really deep there. And so we knew for us, our product, first and foremost, would re- re- really resonate in the natural channel. Um, right. And so we thought about dominating that before we decided to go mass. Right. And so that's the that's been the real focus. And you can see the reception from the consumer because they're so excited to find you, whether it's their local health store, their local Whole Foods. Consumers also love discovery and they might not want to see you in mass so quickly either, right? It's like a little gem, it's a find, it's a cereal I want to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really interesting to just find that community and be able to communicate to them, whether it's on social or being on the store shelves that they, they visit and really surrounding them. And so that was the other thing. When we thought about it, it wasn't like, okay, let's go to every market immediately. Right. We knew our markets for launch were definitely like New York, the Northeast, um, LA, and SoCal. And so we really started to penetrate those areas really well with, mm-hmm. within natural channel. Um, so you know, most natural stores you'll go to in LA or New York will have three wishes. And so you'll start to, as a consumer, be like, oh, that's a brand I know. It's familiar. Right, um, right. And so it's going to take less education and the consumers can be less frightened to to try it. And so that was just part of what was really important, but it was really just identifying who this person is and how do we get to them? How do we get in front of them? And how do we continuously hit them time after time without having to spend a ton of money in educating them? Well, that's, that's my second sort of follow-up. So, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time as a team is like, you know, we, at this point, not only are there so many more sales channels than there were a couple of years ago, but there's so many more marketing channels too. And, you know, there are brands that figure out a way to be on TikTok and Pinterest and Facebook groups and YouTube and have a great Instagram and, and, and we are not one of them. <laughs> like we're smaller. We're, we're not, you know, we're getting better at just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, but we like to put out something that's like, thoughtful and we like to have a strategy behind it. And, you know, at times it can feel a little overwhelming. Um, and there have been times where I'm like, you know what, let's just forget everything else and just get on the TikTok thing because everyone, you know, and then everyone talks me off the ledge. Um, (laughs) so I'm just wondering, you know, how do you, once you sort of, you know, you do that preliminary, it's almost like you've built the foundation of the plan and that's like the who, the why, where, you know, and then there's the next level of like the how, you know, how do we get to them? Um, how do you assess that field a little bit? I mean, yeah, I understand, you know, your consumers more likely to be reading XYZ than to be reading, you know, ABC, and they're more likely to be on this channel than that channel. But when it comes to sort of spending money, you know, how, how do you think about it and, and where to put your resources? You, you know, there are other, you know, especially with a lightweight, self-stable product, there are people just buying a ton of ads on Instagram, maybe not as much now with iOS, but that, that would have been their launch plan, but it wasn't your launch plan. It was not. Um, and I'm just curious how you, you know, not only, how you mapped it out, but then how you thought about spending to that plan. Yeah. I mean, the internet bombards you with products and 
I just knowing, I guess, from the advertising side and having to have done it for clients before, we knew these costs to acquire consumers are so expensive. Um, And if we were strictly a D2C company and we built out that basket size that really hits that sweet spot and and all these other Mm -hmm. things, that wasn't just, it wasn't who we were. And so I never really spent heavily in those channels. Yes. Did we go a little heavier during the pandemic or like, you know, the peak when, Mm -hmm. when everyone started staying home because everyone was ordering something online? Sure. Um, But the internet is such a crowded, noisy place. And so we also know when you come with something that's a little bit more of a premium price point, we're never going to be, you know, a $1.99 box of Cheerios. That's never what the brand's going to be. So we knew that that had to come with some genuine endorsement and it had to be someone that's not just doing it, you know, hashtag ad, love this Mm -hmm. product. Um, So for us, seeding things organically and just sending it to people and if they loved it, they'd share it was a big part of the the strategy. And so, you know, making sure every day we we reached out to X amount of people and, and really just made sure that people were trying the product and talk, talking about it and really starting to create some buzz was really important. Yeah. That's um, really helpful. And that was just, yeah. And it's, it's funny because I also social, I, I called us shoemakers without shoes. We thought like for me, at least anytime I think about the business, I'm thinking about, okay, this truck needs to be rerouted. This needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I always, I'm so operationally focused that I forget about the marketing, which comes so naturally to us. It's it's like, it's the last thing I think about sometimes. And part of us had to take a step back and be like, okay, we have to flex the muscle that we know we have. Um, And so we started to come back and focus on, okay, what's the content that we're posting on Instagram? You know, what, what is the, just all these little things that we didn't necessarily think about as much. Mm -hmm. Um, We've now given some more thought to, and we're trying to be more considered, but couldn't agree with you more being everywhere is not always, if money was infinite, um, and you could throw a thousand things against the wall and then go into a million stores. Maybe that's the, right. the game plan. But it was we were very half pregnant for for a couple like a little while of oh right. let's try this and try that. You kind of need to. It's okay to test things and bait the water, but then you really need to start doubling down on the things that work. Yeah, I know, I, and I really like the way you know. I like the the idea of the seeding the product because you know I think that, and I've had guests on here who have said the exact opposite. And I, and I, I also think that, you know, it depends on the product. It depends on the category. It really depends where your consumer quote unquote lives. It depends on what happens to be going on in the world of Facebook at that very given moment and people's privacy. Like there's so many factors, but it seems to me like if your focus is primarily wholesale and in store to be putting ads into the world where you don't really know what the return on that investment is because, you know, you're building awareness, quote unquote, because you have images and they're targeted to people who live five miles within a Whole Foods, et cetera. If if you can't measure it to some extent and it's like you're just doing it because you want people to sort of see these things and you hope that they then go and make the move to the store, it doesn't feel like as compelling of an argument as it is like taking that time and money and finding 50 people who can really speak to the qualities of your product and actually tell their friends and, you know, followers the messaging that you need to 
you know, it's just, it's like, it is like a deeper approach. It might take a little more time or it might spread a little slower, but it feels like, it feels like a, I don't know, there's something deep about it's organic it. growth, right? It's yeah. 10 people know 10 people know 10 people. And next thing you know, it's it's everywhere. And and that was definitely it. And then the other part of it was when we thought about, you know, if I had every dollar to spend, where would I put $1? For me, I will always, no argument will say playing in retail is where I want to spend that dollar, putting a dollar towards an end cap, which mm-hmm. for the food world feels like Super Bowls, right? If you're mm-hmm. able to just flood the consumer with a wall of your product, it crushes each and every time you see that lift. And then you see, you know, you see the, the new bar of what your velocities are and how much you're selling through is a complete, it's like, it just changes every time. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, it's interesting that it's, uh, we work with an outsource, you know, um, finance team. I had Chris Fenster on the show at the beginning of COVID, but he has a company called Propeller, you know, under 10 million in sales, I've been advised, don't have your own finance person on the team. It's outsourced. They are kind of like fractional. They're part of the team, et cetera, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. Anyway, you know, we, we were going through, I guess our, our quarter or whatever. And, and they were just saying like, you know, there's, they were just kind of like, wow, wholesale is really where it's at. You know, (laughs) like, I guess compared to, some D to C brands where, you know, because of this iOS thing and, and, you know, maybe there was like a little bit of a, of a, of a false, um, you know, we all know that COVID changed behaviors. And I think a lot of people started shopping online and it's not debatable that, you know, grocery stores have lost share to online. That said, people's willingness to buy all of their groceries from individual brands is still not there. So you're still going to be spending a lot of money to acquire consumers. And, you know, hopefully, like you said, that cost of acquisition is evened out by the order size or the lifetime, you know, value of, of that consumer. But in grocery, even though it might not be kind of like as sexy somehow, there's like something. It's real. You think about it. Exactly. Look at at Casper, Harry's, Warby, right? You Mm -hmm. like, they eventually all end up in brick and mortar. And it just, that's, I feel like that's how you feel like a real, real brand. And and for me, you know, I think about myself and kids and do I order things online every single day of my life? Duh, absolutely. But if I'm, I'm hungry. My kids are hungry. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to pick up what I need from the shelf. And I'm going to go home and I'm going right. to keep that a part of my life. So there's no real reason. We're changing enough by changing what cereal, right. what the ingredients are. We kept the box. We keep the shape. We keep the flavors. Mm-hmm. And I think that behavior of how you pick it up on shelf and you touch it and you feel it, there's something real to it. Yeah. Um, it's super important. No, it's funny that you say that because whenever I talk about the story of the sauces, you know, had I been you or someone with any experience in anything other than like my, my cooking school, I would probably not have done three big consumer shifts in one, right? Like moving sauce from the center to the fresh set, moving sauce into pouches out of jars and bottles, moving people to flavors that they've, you know, maybe never heard of, or like we talk about, you know, 
picking one of those things would have been a big shift, you know, and required a lot of education. We, we didn't know any better. So, you know, I was like, obviously people will just figure out what Romesco is like (laughs) clearly, you know, and like, of course it makes sense to be in a pouch. It's much easier. And that's like how you should be using saw, like who you, who, you know, I don't all of those things seem very just like obvious. Of course, like that comes from like me being a New Yorker and, you know, working at a cooking school for eight years. Right. So, um, but I think what you're saying about like, you're picking one thing to change, you know, you picked one, everything. And that's kind of what I was getting at at the beginning. You weren't, you're not trying to redefine. We're trying to redefine what people think of as sauce. Like literally, you know, they think of, they think of marinara and, (laughs) um, and we're also trying to say it's also dressing and it's also a marinade and that this, you know, I think we're doing it. It's going to be slow. You, you kind of came at it and you're like, let's just pick one thing and we're just going to make this actually healthy. Um, which is so great and so smart. And I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I also just, I have such a love for the grocery store and I feel like there's just, I, I love talking to like wholesale first brands. We didn't really have the choice, you know, being fresh and refrigerated, you're, you're not getting into like, you know, whatever percentage of homes across America you want to be in selling directly online. It's just, it's gotta be through the stores. So we weren't as tempted I think by the, you know, by the D to C bug. I mean, we felt that we needed to have it, especially in COVID when people just wanted to get their sauce and they were willing to pay $70 for a case of six. But, um, you know, I guess one of my questions for you is like there, you are though, you, you do have a D to C channel, you have this wholesale now all the thrives of the world are popping up and, you know, even, Imperfect and Misfits is now, you know, all of these new marketplaces that didn't exist. You know, some of them were starting, some of them were their own things, and now they're adding marketplaces to it. So now there are all these different channels. And you, even though you might be wholesale first, there's still these emerging channels and e-commerce marketplaces. And how do you think about do they each serve a different purpose? Do they each yeah. reach a different consumer? How do you think about spending? Are some of them more marketing, whereas, you know, you're not counting on them for like a big bulk of sales? Like you're in an unusual position where you can kind of, you you have an arm for all of these different, you know, pots and you totally. can put lids on all of them, but you, you have to have plans, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, they're all very different. We think about them in a very different way as well. So Thrive, as you mentioned, is an interesting one. Um, It's just, you think about the consumer and and how to serve serve them. And so Thrive is definitely something that I think is a great discovery tool where they narrow things down based on, you know, whether it's dietary preference or any, they have like such interesting categories. And I think it's been a great discovery tool. So Thrive for us, you know, even though you can now buy it online in a place besides our own website, and we're not capturing 
the data, um, mm-hmm. it's okay because I'm winning a consumer. So whether they're going to try me on Thrive and then realize that I'm at Whole Foods and buy it there, we mm-hmm. think it's just creating um, awareness for the brand, which is really important. Um, and then thinking about, you know, Amazon's a, a part of our business as well. That's super right. important. And I think about my own consumer behavior and how many times I'm just ordering and using Amazon as my search engine and Mm -hmm. I'm just going in directly and I'm searching there. So we want to make sure that we're capturing the consumer and it makes it hard, you know, as you mentioned, to figure out what's our customer lifetime value. You have no idea because you could buy it in 40 different places and it makes it really hard to track that. But for us, I think we analyze it as a whole and we're seeing if we're investing that dollar and it's returning for the brand overall, it it means it's, you know, a healthy investment. Yeah. Right. Um, And so for us, we just look at them all and, and, kind of way, you know, is our consumer there? Um, what are we going to see? And we we test some of them and some of them work, some of them don't. And some of them really surprise you. And, and it's just, right. it's been really interesting. So they're all different buckets and they all serve to a different consumer, but it's helping the brand lift. And we're seeing the sell through on the other side, whether they started on Amazon and ended at Wegmans, that's fine. Right. Right. Yep. Okay. So backing up a little bit, um, big eyed wish, like, you know, what was the focus of the agency? And then what would you say you kind of, you know, the two to three things that you extracted that you saw brands doing either well or not so well when they would come to work with you? And how did you incorporate them into Three Wishes? Yeah, that's a great question. So Ian started Big Eyed Wish. We were dating, um, we, it was like early days. So basically started the company, we were dating for probably five, six months at the time. And it just kind of the agency grew and I, I just joined him in the business and we started growing that together. And what was interesting is my role was definitely way more operational. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ian is the creative right. and his, good. it's, it's so good to have a, a balance of two different mm-hmm. brains. And so Ian's specialty is really big ideas and how do we create buzz and, and awareness and, um, and also just like loves building brands overall. So it's definitely been how do you create a great commercial um, or, you know, great packaging. Right. And so that's, that was Ian's and focus. And you're thinking and so, about the trucks. <laughs> uh, oh, it was like, I'm right. like, okay, what do, you know, what does the team need or what does right. that client need? And right. just thinking about that. So it's, it's, it's very funny to watch, but um, <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of, we built the agency by just having great clients that we love to work with. And what was interesting is, we worked with the big guys and we saw how you can spend when you know money grows on trees. And then we also work with smaller clients that really consider every dollar and watching, um, you know, a, a certain client of ours decide to go to retail first and really heavy in retail and then lean in there was fascinating to see. Um, and I think we just looked at every client like a mentor in a way and just saw yeah. what worked for them and what didn't work for them and just, you know, take notes and then just really apply those learnings. And obviously no two businesses are the same. There's no one playbook of how do you succeed in something. Right. Um, but seeing how they would spend money against certain things really saved us from spending in the wrong ways as well. Yeah. And it, was there anything you said to yourself along the way? You're like, I'm never going to do this. This is like note to self. Don't ever do this. Well, the one thing I think we learned from the agency actually, which was a heavy note to self is, really consider who you bring on as your team and and how you grow that and culture is so so important and for us it's a family brand I have my face on the back of a box and making sure that everyone that touches this brand loves it and and respects it and is really a part of the bigger mission and, and really here for the team is super important so 
really making sure that the hire fits and that we're not trying to place a square peg in a round hole has been one of the biggest learnings. Yeah, no, and that's a great segue to what the team looks like now. So you launched in 2019. I mean, it's coming on your second year anniversary. So arguably, I mean, it's kind of amazing what's happened in two years. I'm imagining you're growing you, you don't want to grow too fast because you don't want to onboard too many people too quickly and you want to make good choices, but the orders are pouring in and you got to figure out, you know, how to delegate, like, what does the team look like now? How are you, you know, are there challenges and, you know, what are your sort of big picture hiring thoughts at the moment? There's a challenge every minute, every day. Right. Um, it's a, a never-ending thing of fire drills. But the most important yeah. thing for me, and this is where we've realized we have to. I love operating. I love you know all the moving pieces of of the actual business. But I think for me, it was really important to step back and be like, okay, we are the face of this brand. We actually do need to really focus on the marketing and getting the mm-hmm. brand out there and being a part of it. So the first hire that I made that was most important to me, and I'm so precious about it, and I love her bits and pieces, is my supply chain and ops role and mm-hmm. having sure you know that I trust the person to really, and obviously I'm still very hands-on as well, but right. making sure that the day-to-day has someone that's focused solely on that was super important. And right. And having a train conductor make sure every train in the business, whether it's a truck or whatever it is, like having that run has been uh, just monumental. Um, And then the rest of the team's really lean. It's Ian, myself. And then um, we have, you know, our team that works on the agency is equally our family on the agency. and, And they're a part of this business as well. So it's a all hands on deck type of game, but, um, we've been able to outsource a lot of stuff, whether it's merchandising, um, or sales brokers, um, you know, or someone that's going to update our website. We don't necessarily feel the need to have all these, or like you mentioned a finance team, we don't need to have them all in house just yet. So being able to borrow time from experts has been something we really love to do. Um, so it's been helpful. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I think people have heard me say if they've listened to other episodes, you know, I, I came from, you know, my cooking school experience was amazing, but I was managing a lot of people and I had a very big payroll and not everyone was full-time, but part of when the cooking school closed and I could focus on the product, for me personally, having a much leaner team meant that I wasn't as invested in everyone's, you know, when the cat went to the hospital or, you know, what happened, like I was so, I had so many people that I felt responsible for and just like personally, and this isn't everyone, but me, like as a human, I felt a little relief having fewer people, um, that I felt personally responsible for, I think, especially with the pandemic and, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I don't know if it's selfish to admit that or what. It's just honest. Um, no, well, I think it's two-sided. I think yeah. so. You know, we both agency and um, Three Wishes, we're really nimble. And I think that's saved us a ton. Yeah. Being able to just see when something's not right and pivot. Um, and it's it's really hard when, you know, you're There's responsible for someone's livelihood. Yep. Their yep. ability to have a home and a roof over their head. Like yep. it is, it is not, it is way more, I think, daunting than people realize. And it's, su- it's super significant. So m- being able to, to be really nimble and have, 
that flexibility is, is really, it's, yeah. it's oxygen. Very early on when I started the sauces, someone had said to me, they were talking about another company and they were talking about, you know, ramping up and then either getting at, at either end, you're either acquired or things don't go so well. You basically, you know, you build up the sales team and then you let go of the sales team. And it was just like, that's what you do. And I just remember having this like pit in my stomach, like, but there are people like it was, it was like, really, I, and I was like, I'd like to avoid that. I'd like to avoid hiring up crazy and then just letting it all go. And, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to have outsourced everything for ever because, you know, it brings on, and this is my next question. It does bring on its own challenges. No one cares as deeply about your business as you do. And Fortunately for me, my core team of six, like they care about it as much as I do, but I can't ask our sales or our broker or merchandising or distributors or a financer or whatever. I can't ask them all because they have what, however many others of me um, that they need to care about. But have you found any, um, I don't know, now I'm asking for advice. Have you found any tricks to keeping partners like that engaged and, you know, staying top of mind with them. We always talk about building relationships, building relationships, but have you found anything, I mean, you've had a lot of experience now doing this through both companies, like that you find to be sort of your secret way of keeping them engaged? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard and it's something that you have to focus on, right? Keeping those relationships alive. Nothing's like a set it and forget it in this business at all ever. Um, and so it's, it's really tough. And I think incentivizing is always the thing. And I think relating to people and not making them feel like they work for you, working with you has been something super important that I focus on and really just like being there to just, you know, whether it's like, how's your mom and how's your uncle and just mm-hmm. talking to them, like makes them think like, okay, you know what, Allie's a really great person, like, and I want to help her. And right. I'm going to keep her top of mind. And, and just that. So that's obviously the relationship part of it. And then just incentivizing teams, right, making things a fun game, like whether it's like, okay, you know, first person to sell through, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. merchandise 100 cases and fill 300 voids this month gets an iPad or whatever it right. is, like, those little like dangling prizes is so fun. It makes us feel like that kid in the carnival situation. So I think just, you know, aligning on just we're all humans and people love to help people and then keeping things fun and exciting and not making it like, Oh, you know, same old thing. Gotta yeah, take a picture. Gotta get and them the thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think keeping things spicy, it's like any other relationship, right? So <laughs> it's the same thing. Well, okay. So, and that leads me to, <laughs> I know where that's going. yeah, exactly. I mean, I listened to like 18 hours of Esther Perel this weekend, like on several drive, like we drove to Canada and then we drove back and we were just in the car for a long time and like, listened to every interview she did. And, you know, I, she's the author of like, you know, mating captivity and she, you know, she's like this relationship expert. And, you know, I was thinking like, okay, you know, you have your, you have your, your romantic partner and, you know, you're supposed to, you know, I don't know, the human lifespan, when we came up with the idea of monogamy was like 40, right? (laughs) Like now you're supposed to be with someone for 60 years and like, oh, you know, be with them and they're filling every hole you have literally. Um, You know, that's hard enough to keep that 
you know, from getting monotonous and getting boring and getting, you know, did you pick up the thing? Did you take out the thing? Did you do the thing? Right. But then you add on top of it that you have a business together. You're actually not my first guest who like has a business with their partner. Um, I, I, you need to just give some advice because I can't, I literally can't even imagine it. I don't know. Talk. How do you keep that spicy? How do you keep from talking about like your like truck that's like stuck in whatever at like 10 PM and you have two toddlers on top of those. No, I don't. I talk about now. It's, it's funny. I think, you know, Ian and I feel really lucky with who we ended up picking in our life. And and that was the most important decision we could have ever made. And truly is like, it's so coordinated. Like it's my best friend, but I like, no, that's that, really nice. We hang out. Like we feel like when we're working and I think that's possibly the magic too. It's like, we don't feel like we're always working. We feel like we're just hanging out and, yeah. you know, just like chatting about things. We have a weekly hang, you know, now that everyone's still zooming and remote, we have a weekly hang with the team and we're just like, we're just throwing ideas up against the wall of like, whether it's, you know, we have this flavor, what can we do for marketing? Or like, what's going on in your house? How's your dog? Like, right. we're just hanging. And I think similarly, Ian and I hang all day long next to each other. And I think what was interesting in COVID is like, people are like, oh my God, I've never had to spend 16 hours a day with my my partner and hear them mm-hmm. on a work call. And oh my God, this has been me for, you know, half a decade. Like, right. I, it's, it's so, so normal for me. And so, um, I don't know. We just like, we have such a great time together. And yeah, I think there's a ton of learning and we've really worked out the kinks on the big eyed wish side. It was wherever we would butt heads, we'd realize, okay, like this is your lane. This is your lane. Stay out of mine. Stay out of yours. And when I need to ask you for something, I'm going to ask you for something. And obviously there's bickering and fighting all the time, but we're just like, we're here to have a good time and we're best friends. And so, yes, are we on date nights talking about trucks and business and a new idea and a flavor and you know what our kids said to someone else at camp duh but it's all at the same time it's all at the same time but it also makes it so fun because I can't imagine coming home and feeling like all the stress of what's going on in work at work and like talking to someone that has no idea about what's going on and someone that's gonna like give me a customer service nod like I need someone that's gonna turn to me like I get it you know I dealt with this today and Mm -hmm. um, yeah being a part of that greater mission together is is just like it's the best feeling it's super super cool no I mean that's amazing and I guess the follow-up question because obviously it's kind of like hiring right you got to pick right it's much higher harder to like undo something that isn't good than it is to just like try to do it right in the first place speaking from experience but the I would say you know my question is you know when when those times come up where you know, and I'm sure he's a wonderful partner and a, and a great guy, but he he's a guy. So my guess is that every once in a while, you'll come up with something that's bothering you. And perhaps maybe, you know, his advice is a little mansplainy or, you know, does that like when okay, it comes? Okay, so we're yeah. both super spicy personalities. So okay. like nothing's ever like, honey, it's like we both go for it. Like we say people are like, wow, you guys are painfully direct and blunt. Like mm-hmm. we will, we're the first people to be like, you have something in your teeth. You look fat. You're doing this wrong. Like right. it's totally fine. <laughs> but I think it's great. Like it's the yeah. best. 
Like that's that honesty, great. some people look at us and they're like, oh my God, they speak like that to each right, other. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't you're know also any Israeli. Other way. I feel like there's an Israeli thing to that too. I don't. Like, I everyone's mean, like, it's very un American the way you guys speak to each other. Right. Like, it's, it's super funny, but I think that's what saves it. Like that communication. It's like, right. yeah, you hurt for two seconds, but then you realize like it's your best friend and then you laugh about it. The other right. thing I think we realize that we, and we forget about because you're dealing with kids and businesses and all this other jazz is like we recently just like took a weekend away and yeah. it felt like we were away for a week. We were yep. gone for like 36 hours. It was yep. magical. And like, it, yes, it is important to sometimes shut off and like, just like you know, reinvigorate the marriage and, and remember like, okay, you actually were two humans that fell madly in love and like, you're not just two yeah. coworkers. And so oh. you balance it. So you right. figure it out and yeah, you fight, but then you just like, you get over it. It's totally I fine. I think that's awesome. I, I admire people who can, you know, I'm a little more sensitive and I'm a little more like nervous about conflict and it's got to be freaking oh, annoying. I'm sure it's very, just so annoying. Both of us have very thick skin and like yeah. we could, we dish it out as well as we take it fortunately. Yeah. So no, that's, that's amazing. Most times, but no, I don't great. generally dish it out, nor do I take it particularly. Well. <laughs> I like the worst combination is like, if you can dish it out, but you can't take it. I don't actually do that either. So I'll, I'll give myself that. But one of Ian's yeah. vows, um, at, at our wedding was like Marika wakes up every morning and takes a rectal thermometer to our relationship and I was like Ian (laughs) um no but it was it was great because that's exactly it like I will stop the entire world if the balance is off and if something's off because it's just gonna snowball like we know how it happens so I'm so like I need to nip this in the bud I don't care about what meeting you have in 20 minutes, although we usually get a result before that meeting like we are gonna make this work there's way more on the line like this we can't let some like a little garbage right. start to turn into this like six other actions yeah. happening. So yeah. really tackling it immediately. Is super no, that's important. so smart. I, you know, I, I'm divorced, but I, you know, I always say to my fiance now, like, unfortunately for you, I've learned how to like talk about my feelings. <laughs> like, for you, like I, for, yeah. you know, I, like, I didn't do this for the first, you know, 40 years of my life or whatever it is, but you know, he's like, yeah, lucky me. But I remember <laughs> like a couple, you know, like a couple of years ago, I, I had something, I was in the shower and I had like, you know, conditioner in my hair and I was brushing my teeth. And <laughs> I just was like, I couldn't wait until I got out of the shower to express it. And so I, came out of the shower, my hair, my teeth, the thing. And he's just sort of sitting there, you know, peacefully reading. And I was like, there's something we really need to talk about. And I really need to get it off my chest right now. And he was like, can you, do you want to just like rinse off or no. like put it? I'm like, I really don't know. You know. Like, you know, and so we stood there, you know, and we, we got through it. I got cold. I went and I rinsed off, but I, you know, I think as I've become older and I've become more comfortable, I think with uncomfortable feelings and, you know, all of that therapy. Um, I think, I think you make a good point though, whether it's like a romantic relationship or a business relationship, things that are, um, you know, quiet become loud and boils. Yeah. And, and things that are sort of like, um, not a big deal can, can add up because you start to 
turn things into patterns and start to see patterns that maybe aren't even there. But now you have a narrative and this thing fits into that. And you will find anything that everything and anything will aggravate you. And it's just going to turn into a much bigger mess. So like, yes, is it uncomfortable and you don't want to deal with it in the moment? Like you you can't, you sort of have to, it's super important. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, a last sort of bit of advice, but honestly, I feel like that was just great advice. (laughs) Even if you're not building a company, if you're in a relationship, take that advice. Um, and last question, just, you know, what's the next big challenge for you guys? What's, what's on your mind right now that like you're trying to solve for? Yeah. I mean, just continuing to do what we're doing and doing it well and, and just grow. Um, I think, growth is like a scary thing, right? Your your productions are getting much bigger. You're in way more stores, you're larger exposure. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting thing, but it's also so, so exciting. So it's just continue building that brand love and having something that people want to talk about and staying relevant and, um, you know, continue working on different innovations that bring that same brand promise and make people equally excited and happy to whether they're chatting about you on social or telling their best friend on a train, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. like continue, continue to do that. And so that's, that's the focus. Amazing. All right. So Margaret, I know that we're, you know, we've been talking a lot about people going to Whole Foods and Sprouts and Wegmans and Irwan, et cetera. Other than that, they can find you at threewisheserial.com and Amazon and, you know, all sorts of places. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank I think I needed me. a little relationship counseling, so I'm glad that you came on. Love it. Call um, me, text me, whatever. <laughs> <I'm here. laughs> yeah. You know, it's all mingled up in one big ball, you know, work and life. And yeah. And look, being an entrepreneur is a hell of a yeah. roller coaster. It's and exhausting. I think that's, that's something that Ian and I also, it like, part of the relationship and what it was built on was he was in early stages of his agency and I was there and supporting him and, mm-hmm. you know, holding his hand. And it was like, yeah, you had a bad day. You're going to be fine. Like, you know what you're doing, you know why you did this. And I think similarly, and now as a partner, he turned the other way where it's like, okay, like, you know, I need to support you here as, as a founder and I need to help you, you know, with whatever you're feeling and doing and, and having support on that roller coaster is super helpful. So whether yeah. it's a friend or your mom or your spouse, it's, yep. it's a scary, fun ride. And so um, it's important to, yep. to, you know, find like-minded people that get it. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Armin, thank you for engineering this episode. Um, I'm not sure uh, what our future holds <laughs> with you engineering wise, but it's, uh, I'm very much appreciative of this one. And listeners, um, thank you guys always. I, I love your DMs. I love the messages. Love any review you want to leave. Um, always looking for suggestions for companies that you find interesting. And um, I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.